you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Like last week, many of us, especially those of us who are familiar with the Bible, might be wondering what on earth does Genesis 11 have to do with Pentecost? It's a fair question, and it's one whose answer, again, is unquestionably beautiful. And so let's remind ourselves a little bit about what's happening in Genesis 11, right? We know that Genesis tells us about the beginning, and many of us are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, our first parents. And of course, um, we know that after their sin in the garden, after they disregard the commands of God in the garden, the world from that point on devolves into sin, death, and destruction. And it gets so bad that God just decides to start over, right? He looks out over the earth. He sees none righteous except for one man. That man's name is Noah. And he decides in his grace, in his mercy, to spare Noah and his family. Right? We all know the story from there that um, there's a great flood in the world. And... The one remaining family is Noah. And in Genesis chapter 9, um, which is obviously immediately before our text, at the end of the flood, when it's just Noah, God gives Noah a command. And it's a familiar one, right? It's not one that we haven't heard. We heard it last week in several instances, but it's the same command that God gave to Adam and Eve, and that's that Noah and his family would go be fruitful and multiply, that they would fill the entire earth. Let's keep that in mind as we read Genesis 11, just like we just read. It says this, now the whole earth had one language and the same words, right? We know the story. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks, burn them thoroughly, had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. Now, right, again, let's remember, this is only two chapters away from the moment when God says to Noah, go be fruitful, multiply and fill the whole earth. Two chapters later, what we see is humanity congregating, right? Not dispersing not doing what the Lord had called them to do, which was to fill the earth. And so mankind is again quickly in disobedience. Rather than building out, they build up, right? And their goal is this uniform people. In fact, you see the word one used Four times. So over and over again, this idea of oneness, this idea of we have to stick together. There's an anxiety around being dispersed that's clear. And they tell us the goal, right? And in, in their own words, we want to do what? We want to make a name for ourselves. And so again, instead of doing what God had called them to do, which was to fill the earth for his glory, they choose to congregate for their glory. For their name's sake. And so what's God's response? Well, we, we saw it, right? Verses 5 through 7 say this. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. 
and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So man, right, just like we talked about last week, tries to ascend to God, right? They try to make themselves equal with him again, and they're unable. Why is that? Well, it's because God intervenes, right? Man tries to ascend, and instead, God descends. He comes down among them, comes down among them and he confuses their language so that they're no longer able to communicate. They're no longer able to have a clear, common vision of what's to happen next with this great structure that they're building. They're unable to experience the communion and the fellowship that they used to experience when they shared a language together. I think we underestimate how much our shared language makes us one. And for these people in Babel, Babylon, that's gone. It's eroded out from underneath them by the very hand of God himself. And so God descends. He descends from the heaven. He, he comes among us. He disperses and confuses their language. To what end? It says this, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So God descends, and he descends with a purpose in mind, not just to confuse their language, but in the confusion of their language, that they might actually fulfill the things that God would have them to fulfill, to fill the earth, to be dispersed, to spread out across all of the available land. And so God's will is done in that sense, right? The people are dispersed. His will is done in that he is always intended to have for himself a people that fill the earth with his glory. However, we have to note, right, that this is not a willful dispersion. Right? This is not something that they do of their own volition. This is something that is enacted upon them through the confusion of language brought by God. Right, so the men and women of Babel disperse reluctantly. They disperse because it's really their only option at this point. And so in that sense, this brief moment in Scripture at the very beginning is part of a, a greater narrative of God accomplishing that ultimate purpose, to have for himself a people that fills the earth with his glory. It sets the stage, if you will, for the promise that God gives to Abram in the very next chapter, in chapter 12, where God promises to this man that he will give him a great name, that he'll give him a land free of anxieties, that he'll bless him, right? All, all of these things that the people at Babel were trying to build for themselves, God just promises to give to Abram. And one of the things that he promises to give Abram is to make him into a great nation. Or to be more precise, a multitude of nations. And again, God gives this only stipulation that now, now in Genesis, really just 12 chapters in, we've seen it three times, which is Abram, go, be fruitful, and multiply, fill the whole earth, right? So again, God is, God is not trying to be confusing here, is he? 
utterly consistent. Adam and Eve, go, be fruitful, multiply. No, God, okay, out of the garden, right? Uh, Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, we like this tower. Okay, out. Abram, go, be fruitful and multiply. Nothing at all confusing. Only consistency. Now with that in mind, let's read Luke's account of the Pentecost event from Acts chapter 2. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? That's a good question for us to ask, right? What does this mean? What does this event mean? Right, if in Genesis chapter 11, God descends upon Babel in order to confuse and to weaken a people, it's the, it's the reverse that happens in Acts chapter 2. Right now, God descends on his small little church. He descends upon the church in order to unite and empower. The confusion of language even is reversed as a foreshadowing and an outward sign of the oneness that God's people in all of the world will have in light of Christ through the Spirit. There's one interesting thing, though, that remains the same. At Babel, God descends to disperse and confuse and weaken. God's Spirit at Pentecost descends to unite and empower, but the thing that remains the same is that just like at Babel, when God descends, the nations scatter in response. Right? The church does not remain in Jerusalem. It scatters. Why is that? Well, if we scroll just a little bit further down in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, this is what it says. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. 
Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So Luke here quotes Peter in a sermon, who quotes David in a song. Right? We're getting pretty meta here. But he quotes David in a psalm, and in that psalm, this is God talking to his king. The Lord said to my Lord, God the Father said to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, until I subdue the nations. That's the image that's being given to us there. A footstool is something that you rest your foot on. What God the Father is saying to the Son in the Psalms and here in Peter's sermon is that he intends to make the earth all of the peoples of the earth, Jesus' footstool. And what that, what that means is not like he, that Jesus means to, to, uh, to, to rule over us harshly, right? Jesus is not the, the next iteration of a, of a Stalin. But what he's saying is that humanity will in fact be subdued, like that we will come underneath his righteous reign and rule, that this, that this king that the Bible tells us is a prince of peace, a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father, an almighty God, that this king is creating this, this wonderful society where the weak are blessed and those who mourn are blessed and those who uh, seek after righteousness are blessed, right? This, this just and peaceful, wonderful society ruled by this wonderful and peaceful and just king that, that God's going to fold humanity into that kingdom that God's going to bring them in and so why do these people scatter well they scatter because their king this king Jesus has ascended and the nations are being formed into a footstool in fact we mentioned this last week we mentioned this last week that there was this moment in 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 Israel's history where, where God does something really, really cool. God, in order to try to help his people understand him, has a, has a temple built. And this temple is the place where, where God intends to dwell among them, right? And there's sort of these varying levels to the temple and, and sort of the higher you get up into the temple, the closer you get to the real presence of God. Really, really special place, right? The holiest of holies being this place where only one person could go one time per year. And that was where the Lord's presence dwelled among them. That's how Israel knew we're God's people because we have the temple. That's where he lives. That's where he dwells. But you see what the Lord is doing now in Pentecost is that he has taken us out of that system and put us into a completely new one. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read to you about it. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul says this, starting in verse 18. 
Actually, I'm going to back up a little bit because it's just too good. Sorry. <laughs> Verse 14. For he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom, this is where it gets interesting, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Why do the, why do the people scatter? Why do they hear all of this good news about Jesus in their own language, even though the people who are speaking are all Galileans? What is God doing? He's turning the world, he's turning all of the peoples of the world into a place where he dwells. And it's so significant that in this church in Ephesus where there is strife between different people groups, Paul actually is able to say, listen, because of Jesus in the spirit, you're one people and you're one temple, you're one place where God dwells. And this is what God is doing in the world. This is what God is doing in the church. He's creating this space where we can belong to one another in spite of our differences. Where even if we don't share a language, we can share a savior. Now, why does this matter? Well, Pentecost ultimately is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. I know I called him Abram earlier. He gets a new name. It's this whole thing. It's the fulfillment of that promise. That he would make the descendants of Abraham not only a great nation, but a multitude of nations. It's the fulfillment of God's promise to Abram that one day the land will be blessed. That the place where the church dwells in unity will experience all of the freedom and justice and mercy and kindness and peace that is true of the king that rules over them. And that land eventually is going to be the entire earth. And yet again, here's what's interesting. The common thread between all of the events that we've talked about. Adam and Eve, go, be fruitful and multiply. Noah, go, be fruitful and multiply. Abraham, go, be fruitful and multiply. All of us are familiar with Jesus' final words in Matthew. What does he say in Matthew 28? He says, because I'm who I said I was, 
proven by this resurrection body. Therefore, go. Make disciples of who? All nations. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Right? So the task, again, for God's people remains the same. It's just different in that now we've been empowered by the Spirit to actually complete it. And so why do, why, why do we, why do we go? Why, why do we, why do we worry about evangelism in the world? Why do we, why, why do we think about those things? Why do we think about people other than ourselves? What, like, why any of that? Well, it's because that's the redeemed command and ultimately the power that we've given, we've been given in the Holy Spirit is towards that end that we might go. And that we might actually make disciples of all nations, that we might see the world filled with the glory of God for the good of the church, but also for the good of the world. So why does Pentecost matter? Well, because it's the power for the task that we've been given. Right, we talked about that last week, like that God is doing this worldwide cosmic thing of renewal, right? He's, he's remaking, reshaping the things of earth as it is, right? There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. He's invited us into that process, right? That's what, that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, that we're now agents of reconciliation. The work that Jesus came to do, we've been given to continue. And again, if we think of that, if we think of that work and we think of its global scope and we think of... How much there is involved in that, it's easy to get overwhelmed. Especially when we think of it in a, in a worldview where the only thing that exists is, is sort of our human might, our own will, our own persistence. And so why does Pentecost matter? Well, because again, we, <laughs> we get two things. We get one, this in, in, incredible release in knowing that it's not ultimately dependent on that. It's not ultimately only dependent upon us, but that, that there's a power dwelling within us that enables us, that strengthens us, strengthens us, right? For the task at hand, that gives us the things that we need. The gifts of the Spirit given to the church so that we might actually accomplish what he's called us to accomplish. But we also get this wonderful confidence in knowing that because it doesn't rely upon us and because it relies upon God, a God who specifically throughout Scripture has made it very clear that he's a God who keeps his promises, that this task actually will come to pass. Like that this, that this thing will actually become a reality, that this place where there's no sin anymore and people dwell in peace and where a multitude of nations sing before the Lord the same song to him, Hosanna in the highest, right? Great is the Lord, worthy to be praised, right? That we're going to share that song with people from countries we can't even pronounce, That is the wonderful reality of Pentecost. It's the wonderful promise of Pentecost. And it's the great hope that we have of seeing those things become a reality. 
We can know, brothers and sisters, that when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus and when the Spirit is at work in those who hear, that worldwide peace, justice, unity are forthcoming through that word, that confusion and enmity will be overcome through that word, and that we will be united in our worship of the Lord Jesus, the ascended and reigning King of the universe. So why does that matter, though, specifically for us, right? We've, we've talked sort of at large about what we're involved in as a whole. In fact, if anything, I hope these two weeks have, have helped us take our eyes sort of up off of whatever it might be, uh, uh, just the stuff in your life or the stuff in our neighborhood or even the stuff in Houston or even just the stuff in our country to look at what's happening in the world And that we belong to a people that inhabits really and truly the world. Like that Christianity is not a localized movement. That that the, the, the life of Christianity, that the health of Christianity does not rise and fall upon the life and the health of Christianity just in our country. But that there are revivals happening in the global south, that there are revivals happening in Africa and in China and these places that we can't even really think or imagine. And that the Spirit is going forward there in power. But why specifically does Pentecost matter for us? Well, I think it's a couple of couple of things, and it's nothing you haven't heard before. At at Sojourn, we've always just said, we want to be ruthlessly simple. Not very complex. And and in that, we've said, we want to commit ourselves, we want to give everything that we are to three things. And that's making disciples of Jesus multiplying parishes and planting churches. We want to make disciples, multiply parishes, and plant churches. And what I hope we see in that is that in all of those things, there is a necessary component. And that's that we would go. That we would go and make disciples of our neighbors that we would go and make disciples of our neighborhoods, that we would form communities of people who those communities go and reach neighbors and neighborhoods. And that as we do that, that those would then turn into churches who love and serve their neighbors and neighborhoods in the name of Jesus for the glory of Jesus so that more disciples might be made so that God might be glorified as the nations come to him in our city. And so here's the thing. I think I'm going to be honest about two things. One personal and one I think about us. So one personal so that you know that I'm not perfect because it's easy to, to talk a good game up here and often I'm really guilty of that and not walking a very good game. And that's this. One, um, These words are all too easy to say. But when it comes to the cost of digging into people's lives, when it comes to the cost of putting myself on the line, when it comes to the cost of 
of putting my reputation on the line, of people thinking what they might think of me based on what Jesus may or may not think about them or their lifestyle, right? All of that's utterly terrifying for me. And unfortunately, the things that are terrifying for me can very easily become paralyzing for me too. And so I need Pentecost because I need to remember that I walk into a world every morning, every morning when I put on my pants and shirt and when I walk out my front door, it's not just me that's walking out the front door, but there's a spirit who lives in me who intends to have his glory through me and intends to make his name known through my mouth. I need to remember that. I need to know that. I need to hold on to that. I need to believe that. And I need to be looking for the opportunities to see that be a reality in my life. And I need you guys to hold me accountable to it. I'm serious. But here's the here's second thing, and this is, about, this is about us. It is very easy for us to get comfortable enjoying the relationships that we have in this church. There's a lot of cool people here, man. Like, I like you guys, all of you, seriously. Some of you guys are like, you don't even really know me. Even if I don't really know you that well, I've probably heard about you. I'm that involved. <laughs> I, seriously, you've probably, someone has probably said, this person did this awesome thing, and I got to go, wow, man, love that person. Respect. So cool. But we we have been called to be dispersed. And what that means, brothers and sisters, is that more often than we like it, more often than we're comfortable with it, the gospel of Jesus, God's glory in the world is going to demand that, that we separate from one another for a season. Whether it's he sends us to another country somewhere to do life and ministry there or whether it's as simple as this. Guys, there's literally not a free seat at our dinner table. We need to multiply this parish. And I know how we get, right, when that conversation starts in that room. It's like, oh man, but we like really like each other and this is not ideal for me, you know? And what I'm saying is that it's worth it. And the only way, the only reason I can say that and that be true is if Pentecost is also true, is if what God is doing in the world is actually true. And you know why? Because here's the thing. If that's really true, if what God's doing in the world is true, if Pentecost is true, if, if all of that is, is real and is happening and, and coming to be, then that means that, you know what, we're, we're going to have a really long time to catch up. We're going to have a really long time to catch up in glory when we share a table together forever in the presence of God. And so it's worth it now to see people who we also like, right? It's not like we don't just like Christians, right? There's a lot of people that we like, that we even love, that people that we long 
to enjoy and enjoy their prayer. We want them to be part of that party too. And the Lord has promised us that that endeavor would be fruitful and that it would be so fruitful that people from literally every tribe, tongue, and nation, tribes that, again, we don't even know exist, like that they're going to be there. And they're going to be there because someone, because us, because we took the command to go seriously. And believe that it was worth it, not because we're great, not because we have all of the right words, not because we pray the right prayers, not because we have all of the Bible knowledge, but because we have a spirit that goes with us and who has empowered us for that task. So let's ask him to be with us and then let's go from here. Father, thank you so much for this morning again. God, grateful to be gathered together with your people. Lord, so excited for the day um, when we get to share your table together. And Lord, there's no, there's no clock ticking in the background. Uh, there's no bedtime uh, to get home for. Um, Lord, there's no plates to clean up. There's no there's nothing lingering in our minds, Lord. There's nothing distracting us from your glory. There's nothing distracting us from the joy of being in one another's presence without sin. There's nothing distracting us from the wonderful food that's present at your table. There's nothing distracting us from you, Lord. Lord, we long for that day. And we look forward to being surprised by the people that are there. Lord, people that might have been on opposite sides of a political aisle, people that might have been on opposite sides of a language barrier, people that might have been on opposite sides of a geopolitical conflict, people that might have been on the opposite sides of anything you could imagine, Lord. We look forward to being surprised by the people that are there. But Lord, help us not to be surprised even a little bit when in order to make that true, you call us to go. May we be a church, Father, who takes your Pentecost seriously, your dwelling in us, with us seriously, and who, because you dwell in us and with us, willingly, gladly, for the joy set before us, goes and tells. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.